Some places take you away. Some bring you together. Marathon does both. Marathon is Florida's family key with something for everyone. You'll find museums and wildlife refuges, wide open beaches, miles of warm, clear water, and the historic Seven Mile Bridge. For more about Marathon and the latest safety protocols, visit flakeys.com slash marathon. RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by you, our patrons at Patreon. Give a look at patreon.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 330. The Dias Cast. And now, the conclusion. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we watch an episode of Star Trek. Sometimes half an episode, depending on who you ask, examining it for deeper meanings, and seeing whether it holds up today. This week, the die is cast. The one where Nabrantain rolls for initiative, the Defiant rolls for defense, and the Dominion rolls all over everyone. John's got trivia coming up in a bit, but first... But first... But first... I'm going to let you know how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember... We may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Um, yeah, so a lot of people, John. Yeah? I don't know if you saw this coming. I, I don't think I did. A lot of people seem a little bit bothered that we did this uh, two-part episode uh, the way that they did when they produced this episode uh, in two parts. Yeah, you know, because that, that was something that the producers on DS9 did, mm -hmm. and and the writers then followed suit based on the producer's uh, suggestion. Uh, that's what they did. They, in fact, released it in uh, in two parts. Now, in fairness to uh, two people listening, we don't normally do that. Uh, we talked last week and said, I think the only time we've ever done that is with uh, the homecoming, uh, the circle, and the siege. And then somebody wrote in, they were like, uh, I believe you're forgetting one of the other 300-some-odd episodes that you actually you know, did that with. Yeah, very easy to do for us to forget one of 330 now episodes that we've done. Yeah. Redemption. Mm. Is, is that right? Somebody said that we did Redemption, because I was reading the Facebook yeah. uh, things, you know, which I do like once a week. Um, they said that Redemption and Redemption Part 2, we actually divided into two episodes. Yes. All right. So, there don't, you go. Don't there remember that go. at all, but apparently it wasn't completely unprecedented. You know what else is not unprecedented, John? What's that? You occasionally hitting trivia for an episode of Mission Log. Ooh, how about I uh, hit that right now? How about you hit that? Trivia for The Die is Cast. Well, the episode was written by Ronald D. Moore. So Ron takes full credit here, story and teleplay, though we know from last week that there are a lot of hands that went into shaping this as the second part to Improbable Cause. And yes, at one point it was titled Improbable Cause Part 2, though sadly not Electric Boogaloo. We're actually pretty early in the credits that Ron has for DS9. Of course, uh, he was with TNG for a long time, but so far we've only discussed four of his DS9 credits, the most recent being Life Support. It was directed by David Livingston, of course, a longtime Trek contributor. David was on board as unit production manager since the very beginning of TNG. He worked his way into various production jobs, then got his directing chops on that show with The Mind's Eye and Power Play. He's got a number of episodes to go here on DS9 and many more to follow on both Voyager and Enterprise. Now, in the last couple of weeks, we've talked about how the production schedule on this one changed, so you can catch up there about turning a standalone episode into a two-parter. 
We also mentioned that Michael Piller had just officially ended his time with DS9 in order to step over to Voyager. In his place, well, now we have Ira Stephen Bear promoted to executive producer. Hey, uh, remember last week when Bashir and Garrick were discussing Julius Caesar over lunch? Well, here we have a very famous line, the fault is not in our stars, but in ourselves, spoken by Cassius de Brutus. And interestingly, the phrase, the die is cast, was something the real Julius Caesar was said to have uttered when crossing the Rubicon with his troops. So there you go, a phrase and an actual event that became well-known ways of saying that there is no going back from where you are now. And let's talk about guest stars. Well, we mentioned last week that we have the return of Paul Dooley. We also have the return of Kenneth Marshall as security officer Michael Eddington, who we first met in The Search, Parts 1 and 2. And we have a couple of new characters this time as well. There's Admiral Todman from Starfleet. He's played by Leon Russom. This isn't the first time we've seen Leon, though. He is the Starfleet Commander-in-Chief in Star Trek VI. Other than Trek, he's had a long career, though with uh, early appearances on shows like Mission Impossible and Kojak, feature film appearances followed, and he even has a number of soap opera credits like, oh, let's see, uh, Port Charles, Another World, and yes, The Guiding Light. Yes. We also meet the Romulan, or is he, character Lovak, played by Leland Orser, this is also not Leland's first Trek. He was in the DS9 episode Sanctuary as one of those poor asylum seekers who definitely did not wind up on Bajor. In addition to TV guest spots, he's had some featured roles in films like Alien Resurrection and The Bone Collector. This is not the last time we'll see him. Leland will be back in both Voyager and Enterprise. Jurassic Park Prologue. Without Garrick to verbally spar with over lunch, Bashir is talking the ear off of O'Brien, who doesn't care in the least about the state of 24th century theater. They both care about the fate of Garrick and Odo, which, to them, is still unknown. This conversation is interrupted by a call from Ops that there's something unknown happening outside, a bunch of Tetrion particles coming their way. Oh, no, it's not just particles, it's a whole bunch of cloaked ships. Romulan and Cardassian appearing near DS9, and then they all head right through the wormhole toward the Gamma Quadrant. Act 1. Remember how Anabran Tain tried to have Garrick killed, but Garrick staged an explosion in his own tailor shop and then got captured along with Odo by Tain and a Romulan warbird? Yep, well, everything is really cool now. Tane and Garrick are enjoying a cool, refreshing drink, reminiscing about the old days and how Garrick had such a talent for interrogation, discussing who they'll kill next. In walks Romulan Colonel Lovak, who greets Garrick in the charming, traditional way by saying he'll be killed if he goes to the bridge unescorted. One more item of business. Tane would like Garrick to interrogate Odo to get as much information out of him as possible about the Founders. In goes Garrick to find a frosty Odo in confinement. Between the whole selling out his friends thing and joining the enemy thing, Odo is not exactly inclined to help Garrick with anything. Back on DS9, the crew are watching an intercepted video in which an Abrantine is explaining his plan to the Cardassian Central Command so they can have a fleet on standby. He intends to take out the threat from the Gamma Quadrant by destroying the Founder's homeworld thus also starving out the Jem'Hadar, who rely on the Founders for those delicious enzymes they need to stay alive. The video is relayed by Starfleet Admiral Todman, who says a copy was also sent to the Romulans. Both of their governments say this is a rogue action, and there's not much they can do about it. Sisko's orders are to evacuate DS9 of non-essential personnel and sit tight in case any of the Dominion come through after the fight. The Defiant should act as the first line of defense. And what about Odo? Tobman says, nope. Again, sit tight. We're going to wait this one out. In direct opposition to that order, Sisko tells Eddington, hey, look, it's Eddington, to have the Defiant ready to go in two hours to try to rescue Odo. Anyone who wants to come along, just know you'll probably be facing a court-martial if you come back alive. Act 2. The Defiant and her crew are ready, including Eddington. 
Admiral Todman is trying to get a message through, ordering them not to go, but Sisko is pulling the old I-can't-hear-you-there's-so-much-static routine. Away they go, into the Gamma Quadrant, cloak enabled. On the Romulan ship, the tactical plan is discussed. When all ships are in range, they'll start bombing the hell out of the Founder's planet, completely neutralizing it in a matter of a few hours. There is still a question of whether they have planetary defenses, though, and Tane, again, asks a reluctant Garrick to interrogate his friend. He finally twists his arm enough with the promise of a hot new piece of technology, one which will prevent Odo from being able to change his form. Back on the Defiant, something is up with the cloaking device, as in, it has suddenly stopped working, leaving them exposed to any Jem'Hadar who happens to show up and take a shot. Act 3. Nobody can figure it out. Except Eddington. He readily admits that he sabotaged the cloaking device. He was ordered directly by Admiral Todman to prevent the Defiant from leaving DS9, and now that they're in the Gamma Quadrant without a cloak, they'll have to do just that. Not so fast. O'Brien will get to work looking for a fix, and Sisko orders Eddington to his station on weapons. He'll be needed if they're attacked, and he knows Eddington will follow orders. Meanwhile, on the Romulan ship, Garrick starts his interrogation procedure of Odo. Normally, Odo would be able to take him out, but not with this quantum stasis field device. Faced with the prospect of not being able to change back into his liquid state, or any state other than humanoid, Odo is putting on a brave face, but clearly worried as Garrick sits smugly, saying he can wait for whatever occurs. What occurs is unsettling. Odo is falling apart, literally. His skin is peeling away. He's a shaking mess. Garrick begs him to just share some information, anything about the Founders. Lie if he has to. He can make the torture end. Odo says all he wants is to go home. Not to DS9, but to be with his people in the Great Link. Garrick shuts off the device. Act 4. With the cloak back up and running, the Defiant is on its way again to the Founder's homeworld. Somewhere outside of that is Tane on his Romulan warbird, telling Garrick he should just kill Odo since nothing of value came from the interrogation. Garrick says they shouldn't. Odo is, after all, a part of the Bajoran militia and a DS9 officer. No need to provoke the Federation. Surprisingly, it's Lovak who agrees with Garrick, thus calling off Tane. Lovak says he'll take Odo back to Romulus for study. When they're out of earshot, Lovak confronts Garrick, though. He doesn't understand why Garrick has feelings for Odo and wants to protect him. Of course, Garrick denies it, to which Lovak says he'll be watching the Cardassian spy much more closely. With the fleet now in place, the Romulans and Cardassians open fire on the Founder's homeworld. Oh, it looks nasty. But there's something strange. No change in lifeform readings. They should have wiped them out, but no. Then they realize what's going on. It's a false reading set up by the founders to throw them off. There's nobody on the planet, and now there's a new problem. A hundred and fifty Jem'Hadar fighters have shown up to join the party. Act 5. When I say party, what I really mean is that the Jem'Hadar are fighting back viciously. They're taking out ship after ship, leaving Tane in utter shock and the Romulans in defensive mode. Garrick sees an opportunity in the chaos to liberate Odo so they can both escape on the runabout. As they leave, Lovak stops them and gives them a data pad to give them access. But why? Lovak says that no changeling has ever harmed another. Lovak is one of the founders. And once they knew what Tane was up to, they let it happen in order to root out the threat. That just leaves the Klingons and the Federation as the only threat remaining from the Alpha Quadrant. Lovak offers for Odo to come back to the Great Link, but again he declines, and Lovak beams away. As Odo goes off to the launch bay, Garrick goes back to the bridge to try to save Tane. There he finds his old friend in disbelief that the plan didn't work, assuming that there must have been an informant. There was, Lovak, Garrick tells him. 
Ah, he knew he shouldn't have trusted him. Better to know for next time. But the next time is looking unlikely as the warbird takes a beating from the Jem'Hadar. Odo appears again, this time punching out Garrick so they can escape on the runabout. Escape from the damaged warbird, now Garrick, with a black eye, and Odo find themselves giving chase to a Jem'Hadar fighter. It's not looking good at all for their little ship, and Garrick takes the opportunity of their likely demise to apologize to Odo. Odo says it's a little late, but he can understand Garrick's desire to return home. When all looks lost, in swoops the Defiant, though, shooting its way to rescue Odo and Garrick from the runabout. On board, they're still giving a good fight, just enough to clear the area and head home through the wormhole, leaving the Jem'Hadar to finish off the Cardassian and Romulan fleet. Home on DS9, Sisko takes a call from Admiral Todman, commending him for the work he did, and there will not be a court-martial. In his wrecked tailor shop, Garrick is sorting through the mess when he's visited by Odo. Odo thanks him for not mentioning his desire to return to his people in the report. Garrick merely says he thought the whole conversation was best forgotten. Odo agrees. Garrick, it seems, will rebuild his shop, and Odo invites him to have breakfast sometime, even though Odo doesn't eat. The end. Well, then what are they going to have for breakfast? I, you know, I, that's such a good question. Uh, and, and again, I, I, I would contend that Odo makes a mess when he tries to eat. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, Odo says that himself. You know what I'm thinking might be good? Mm-hmm. Uh, some, like, uh, some scrambled eggs and some pineapple, maybe. <laughs> that's, it's the, the two tastes that taste great together. Yeah, well, they look good on film, and that's what's important. They do. Hey, somebody sent us a picture, though, of like, uh, uh, I think it was, see, look, when I think of English breakfast, you know, I think of uh, rashers and black pudding, some sausages, some mushrooms, baked beans, the whole, the works. But then this was uh, a plate with like an egg and uh, maybe some uh, potatoes of some sort, and then a slice of ham with pineapple on top. All right. So technically, there was a plate with eggs and pineapple. All right. But I, I just, I don't think I want any part of that. See, I just hate eggs. That's my thing. Cause like the mm-hmm. rest of that sounds right. fantastic. Like, yeah. I mean, you know me and ham. I'm, I'm a sure. huge, I'm a huge fan of that pineapple. I like go ham pineapple. on that ham. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. With maybe mm-hmm. a, maybe a ham chaser. That might be good. <laughs> right. Yeah. By the way, what were they having for lunch? Bashir and O'Brien. I couldn't really tell. There was like some soup or a, a thing there. And O'Brien was just woofing down whatever it was. Well, it was Plumek soup, wasn't it? Isn't that what uh, I thought that's what Bashir said? Uh, that's what Bashir was having. Well, I assume they were both having the same They were thing. both having? Okay. Yeah. Well, because you got a replicator. You just like form of a cheeseburger. Yeah, and, you could. You know. And yet, for some reason, they don't. Yeah. A lot of times, it seems. Uh, so I, I, uh, the thing with uh, O'Brien, actually, if you uh, what he's, his mother said, if you try to talk while you eat, you won't do either very well. His mom just got sick of hearing him, didn't she? I mean, that's really yes. what that is. That's just, yeah. just you know, quit it because you're not making any sense and you're going to digest your food horribly or choke. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah, stop talking while you eat and just eat. Cause, and then it was like, funny, my wife says the same thing. It's, uh, you know. Hello. Uh, yeah. Hey, uh, so they get interrupted. They have to go to ops because, oh, we don't know what this thing is with the Tetrion particles. Okay, just for the last time with the cloak ships, because there is a way to find them every single time. I don't care if it was 100 years ago and it was Admiral Kirk shooting a, uh, a torpedo that is locked on to a cloaked ship, the exhaust of the cloaked ship, whatever, always. In fact, just a, a couple of weeks ago, we found a Romulan warbird just sitting outside DS9 because they were like, hey, there's a weird thing. There's a singularity. Right. Oh, look, it's a cloaked ship. So here's the thing. Sensors don't pick up the ship, but they pick up everything else. So And, and Tetrion particles are like, hey, look over here, cloaked ship, cloaked ship right here. Yeah. Yeah, there's another thing that actually confuses me, and, and uh, a couple of weeks ago or a few weeks ago, we were talking about how you activate the wormhole, because I thought you like sent out a mm-hmm. Tetrion whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, a bunch of people wrote in and said, no, 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 that, that happens just as a result of the wormhole opening up. The way you go through the wormhole is you just go through the wormhole. Like you just like yeah. you, you aim for it, and if, as long as you're you going think happy thoughts, right? As long as you're heading yeah. like hit the right point, you're going in. Which which raises the question to me: Why does everybody have to decloak to go through the wormhole? 
Mm. Because because like yeah. all those ships decloaked, like you know, nearly hit Deep Space Nine on their way to the wormhole, <laughs> but and then they yeah. decloak, and then they go through the wormhole, and then they go back out, and then they de- and then they cloak again. Same thing with the Defiant. Yeah, they they're like they go through the wormhole uh, uncloaked, and then once they're through the wormhole, they decloak, or they yeah, vice versa, whatever. And they yeah. they go through visible, and then as soon as they're out, they're like, okay, let's get invisible. See, I'm thinking if I had a cloak of invisibility. I, and, and I was like trying to sneak in a door. What I would do is I would put that on yeah. and then sneak through the door as opposed to go through the door and then put the cloak on and then go, I'm invisible. <laughs> Perfect. That That is a callback. That is That's a good. callback indeed. You could see if you were the founders, you could just uh, call up on the Jim Adar and say, guys, can you install a camera system? Right. On, uh, you can do end? that. Yeah. Or we have a lot of Jem'Hadar. How about just two of you sitting near this thing? I know it looks like you're not watching anything, but seriously, but are. every now and then <laughs> it's going to be like a light show. And then whatever comes through the light, really nothing came through. That's weird because usually when that happens, something comes through. So hmm. strange. Yeah. So strange. Yeah. Maybe every time that that happens, just fire. Yeah. <laughs> just whatever. Just open. exactly. Yeah. Oh God, we killed a bird. <laughs> well, through the wormhole. Really? Yeah. That's weird. Anyway, uh, about Garrick's technique, Tane says that he just sat there and just stared at a guy for four hours, and that's what broke him. Yeah. Well, that's he does have he, he does have those eyes. He does. He's, he's you know, almost you know, got Gowron eyes. They're not quite Gowron eyes, but he's almost got Gowron eyes. Yeah, yeah. Almost, almost. But I love, you know, we'll talk about the actors, I'm sure, throughout this episode. But that's one of the things that I love about Andy Robinson as Garrick is it's sort of like watching um, uh, D. Kelly as Dr. McCoy. It's like, I didn't care if the guy didn't have lines in a scene. You just look at his face and you go, here's a guy who is just working it all out in his head. He is so engaged in that scene no matter what, even if he's not the star of that scene. It's cool to watch. It's great. Um, I, I do like that conversation that he's having with uh, Tane about, uh, let's see, there's Dr. Parmak uh, in the labor camp. It's, oh, you, you should look him up. Yeah, and then uh, and then uh, Goldicott. Oh, yeah, yeah, you, you can have him eliminated. Uh, in fact, you can eliminate anybody you want when we're done with this. Uh, and my housekeeper? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to have her killed. Yeah, uh, it's just sort of it's sort of like the Terran Empire. I mean, you, you just kill your way to the top and uh, with, with glee, you know. So here's the thing. Hearing you recount it, I guess that's actually the first time that we know that Tane is kind of going insane. Mm-hmm. He's insane. He's got no Tane. <laughs> you think that that's when you really kind of know that he's going crazy because the person like all those other people, I could see him wanting to get rid of them. Right. But then when mm-hmm. it's like, oh, and Mila, the person who like, you know, has protected my secrets forever, who knows, you know, she folds my underwear like nobody, you know, he's like, well, I'm going to kill her, too. That's when you sort of start to get a look at how crazy it turns out. Tane has turned. Um, I will say, though, it's only really hearing you recount all of that that I noticed, because that whole time there in that conversation, I was like, oh, he's going to spill that grapefruit juice. He's going to spill it. He's going to spill that. It's yeah. amazing because he's he's gesticulating so much while he's doing it, and and the, and the the liquid goes all the way to the rim of the glass the whole time. And I was like, how how is that not spilling? Yeah, yeah. And that was seriously a distraction to me for all of the times I watched it. I'm like watching that glass going. No, that's 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 going to be a stain. So you were thinking about that. I was thinking about the makeup job. That it's very difficult to eat or drink when you have a lot of makeup and prosthetic. They were being very careful with that, at least when they were drinking it, you know. Uh, and I also I wondered for a minute if it was Tranya, too. I I wondered about that as well, but I, I assume not because because there's Star Trek would not be able to not say that that's a callback if it's a callback. Right. Yeah. Exactly. They just. I mean, there's no way they're gonna be like, yeah, no, secretly that was Tranya. No, it wasn't. You're just making that up now. <laughs> right. Hey, here's a technical thing that I wanted to point out, because you just watched uh, Star Trek the Motion Picture again not that long ago. There's that scene on the Defiant before they pull out of DS9, where Kira is relaying that message from Admiral Todman back to Cisco, and they're using that split focus technique that really we haven't seen since TMP. Um, that is a really? very rare... Yeah, it's not 
an effect that is used a lot. Like, look, I'm sure that somebody will point out in the hundreds of hours between TMP and this episode of DS9, there, there might be a shot. But it, it's not a really frequently used thing. It's just uh, kind of out of style. I will tell you, they used it all over. Uh, you know who's a big fan of that? I just realized. Mm-hmm. Warren Beatty. Because they use it all oh. over Dick Tracy, and and I'm pretty yes. sure they used it all over Bugsy as well. Because I'm thinking about like when have I seen that? Well, Dick Tracy was all over the place, yeah. But I'm thinking there were a couple of scenes in Bugsy where you had um, um, uh, Virginia way off in the background, and uh, yeah, and Mr. Siegel up near the front. Don't call him Bugsy; he doesn't like that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 always a weird effect when you see it. Um, because, I mean, it works, kinda. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. just so I'm clear, by the way, that's all senior staff heading for the wormhole. Is that right? It's kind oh, of funny, yeah. too, when they're doing the Mouseketeer sound off, right? And they're like, hey, Ops is ready, and that's it's somebody we know. And it's like, a, yeah, yeah security is ready, and that's that guy that we're seeing again for the first time. And engineering's ready, because there's O'Brien. And, uh, and Bashir just walks by. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, writing things down, because that's important for a medical officer is to go up near the screen and write stuff down, mm-hmm. apparently. Mm-hmm. And that's all the and- senior staff. That's all the senior staff. That's it. And that's all you need to go into the wormhole after like a couple of dozen Cardassian and Romulan ships. Yeah, but this is like leaving a bunch of eight-year-olds in charge, isn't it? Because that's all the senior staff. That's your head of engineering. That's your head of security. It's your head of whatever it is that Dax does. It's your head of medical. It's your head of everything. And there's like, yeah, oh, listen, by the way, uh, this may go bad and there may be like a whole battalion coming through. So just try to imagine what I would do. And you know, like the people there later, you're like, well, I had imagine i'd go running kind of like you're doing yeah. right now aren't you i don't it was it was just weird to see all of senior staff be like oh yeah no we're coming with you well we didn't see quark at all during this episode you have to just fit that in that quark is taking care of all of that stuff he's got that's right yeah, yeah. is he in command now because that's i mean that's pretty much the order you know by by stars anyway yeah, pretty much. Like, so Quark is actually running Deep Space Nine. See, that'd be great if the mm-hmm. Defiant had been destroyed, and they're like, next week on an all-new Deep Space Nine. <laughs> Just like, Quark's house. Exactly. <laughs> Whose house? Quark's house. Quark's right. house. Say what? <laughs> uh, speaking of Eddington, all right, so he sabotages or sabotages the system, and uh, Cisco just puts him back to work. And I think Cisco does have a point. Eddington has never broken his word to him. So it's just like, well, you got the uniform on, and yeah. you took your orders, and now you take your orders from me. I don't know. By implication, he definitely did uh, lie to Cisco. Yeah, Cisco well, was like, anybody who comes, by the way, it's going to be kind of bad. And Eddington, I guess, crosses his fingers and puts him behind his back. And he's like, I'm totally with you, sir. Yeah, that's how it works. Yeah, I make it a policy to never question the word of anyone who wears that uniform. Don't make me change that policy. <laughs> uh, he betrayed Cisco twice in this episode. Mm. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. first of all, by getting on that ship and pretending that he was on board with what Cisco was doing and then by seriously turning on all the lights. (laughs) <laughs> like while, yeah. they're trying to, while they're trying to be totally secret, he's just like, you know, I mean, and granted, he doesn't leave them sitting there. He just decloaks them. But still, yeah, yeah no matter how good the Defiant is, enough Jem'Hadar. I mean, the, didn't the Defiant have its, you know, aft thrusters handed to it in the first yeah. couple of episodes of this uh, first episode, I think, of this season? Oh, as soon as we met the Defiant, yeah, it was right. like, yeah, our ship's so cool. Oh, oops. <laughs> this is not yeah. going to work all the time. Yeah, yeah. I don't think. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I was I, 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 I have a lot of questions about Eddington, but we might come back to them. Hey, correct me if I'm wrong about something here. Didn't we already have Odo retire his bucket? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, so I, I know that he would like to change. Uh, because that is just him by nature. Uh, but he told Kira that he really doesn't need the bucket anymore. And and they just sort of stuck it in there. Well, he doesn't need the bucket anymore, but he needs to change into something, right? So he still just needs to pool up at, right. at some point. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. All right. <laughs> right. He <laughs> may actually be able to form his own bucket in which he sits now. We don't really know. Yeah. But, but either way, he does have to change. He does have to revert to shape of water uh, <laughs> every 18 hours or so. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, when he finds out he can't uh, change, do you remember uh, the, the skit on SCTV, like 3D House of X? Like it would be 3D yeah. House of Pancakes or 3D House of whatever? Of course. It was John Candy, they would, it yeah. was Doctor, was it Dr. Finger or Dr. I don't something, remember. Like, something weird like that. Yeah. And they would always go toward the camera. With, right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was that was Odo trying to change. 
<laughs> when he couldn't yeah. like with the with his hands going straight towards the camera there and i was like yeah. this, is, this is just this is straight out of sctv uh, he's making I'll, a sound too he's going eh, eh. Yeah, yeah which is the worst just, imitation of that that's worse than my charles yeah. groden imitation that was bad. and, and for yeah. people by the way who don't know what i'm talking about patreon.com slash mission log see the ken see ken's imitation of charles groden oh yeah it's 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 really something people are talking um the other thing by the way as far as odo not being able to change i would think that disheveled hair would be harder to manifest than the devo hair that odo walks around with usually oh you're right right because his hair is going all over the place and i'm like wow he's never been able to do hair before and now look at him He's got yeah. crazy old man hair. He should right. really, maybe he should try going 19 hours, you know, between, uh, between so cool. pooling up, as you say, uh, if he wants yeah. to, if he wants a good hair day. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. Hey, uh, there was something that made me think of you. Did you pick up on attack pattern Omega four? Here, here's the deal. So you're in defiant, you're getting shot at, you got to go rescue that shuttle attack pattern Omega four. Uh, they take a right turn and then shoot. I did not remember that, although I, I did happen to see this note, and it did remind me of the Ken maneuver. Yeah. Yeah. That was the one well, I, I forget what was into. the... Uh, you turn yeah. left. Turn left. Okay, yeah. right. That's the Ken <laughs> maneuver. Ken maneuver. Yes, exactly. Yes. That was yes. It. Exactly. Hey, uh, I thought there was a thing that was very insensitive at the end of this episode. Uh, Admiral Todman's like, hey, guess what, Ben? We're not going to court-martial anybody. Good job. And uh, from what you described with that battle, boy, it sounds like Wolf 359 all over again. That's, that's so not cool. Shredded Tweet. We've talked before about how much we like the, the writing for the Cardassians. There's something that's just really, I, I don't know, really thoughtful in making them different. And it's not just like the the hit you over the head thing with, you know, Klingons yelling about honor all the time or Vulcans just talking about logic all the time. Uh, the Cardassians are really well fleshed out and they have a, a really deep culture, as twisted as everything is <laughs> from our point of view. They have a really complicated uh, culture and structure all of their own. And I love Garrick's ability to turn a conversation um, there was this great moment where he's, uh, well, we, we talked about it in the last segment where he and Tane are just sitting there talking about, oh, yeah, uh, then I'm going to kill this guy. And, uh, and then this will be great. I'll, I'll get back home and then I'll kill that guy. And, uh, boy, it'll just be like the good old days, just killing everywhere. And then Garrick, when Tane says something about killing Mila, Garrick makes the case to Tane about not killing Mila. Okay. But then when Tane says something about it, Garrick says, oh, oh, no, no, you don't need to come up with an excuse to save your housekeeper. And I just it's such a subtle thing, but it is absolutely brilliant. And he and Tane do that uh, back and forth a couple of times in the previous episode of Improbable Cause and in this one where somebody says a line. But instead of just following up with what the actual answer is to that question or what the next logical thought is, they just absolutely twist the the impetus for that line back on the other person and say, oh, no, 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 that idea that you just had, which really I just planted, <laughs> that you don't have to do that. Or maybe you should do that. It's genius writing. And I love that they are both playing at the same level. It's interesting, though. So do you think that's a Cardassian thing or do you think that's an obfuscating spymaster thing? I, I Well, I think it's mostly a spymaster thing. But here's the thing. I also think that like eight year old Cardassians in school everywhere are probably learning how to do this. Hmm. <laughs> you know, if we've learned anything about Cardassian culture, they are all set up to be a part of this sort of military and conquesting complex that they have. So they might just all be really good at it. I don't know, though, because Ducat's pretty much like straight up. Ducat, like, you know, like, um, I, I honestly thought that uh, when Ducat and Cisco were off uh, chasing Thomas Riker and Defiant. Yeah. Then Ducat starts telling the story about his son, who's like 11 that day or eight. I can't remember. Mm. But I, it's his son's birthday. And he's missing his son's birthday. And I thought the whole thing was going to be a lie or the whole thing was going to be a ruse. And and really, it's Ducat going, yeah, this, you know, today uh, stinks. Sorry. Today yeah. stinks. <laughs> right. And, uh, and yeah. here's why today stinks. 
And I still don't know what side of that whole thing Dukat was on in that does he think it stinks because there's never going to be peace or does he think it stinks because his son's going to hate him because of his bad birthday. But either yeah. way, Dukat's just like being 100% up front. He's not doing the dance in a way. Um, yeah. The, 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 the gulls tend to show up to me as very straightforward, uh, with the exception of the one from um, Duet, who, of course, ends up having been, you know, a liar. I mean, with a conscience oh, and with a cause all the way through. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, he, yeah. I mean, the reason for his obfuscation is because he's he's trying to do something completely different. But it's just the, um, I mean, I get what you're saying, except it didn't feel particularly Cardassian to me. It felt more, um, it felt more. Uh, spy master thing. Spy and spy who loved me. And you can decide whichever <laughs> one is which. Or spy versus spy. Uh, spy yeah. Well, except together, but not. The mm-hmm. whole time. But yeah. Sure. Sure. Um, well, let's talk a little more about Garrick. You know, he's uh, he's just a guy doing a job. That's uh, that, that's how they, they sort of look at it. And I, I wonder, do you think that Odo would have a problem looking at him after what they've been through? I mean, he, here's the thing. Yes, uh, Garrick saved his life in the end, uh, but he also tortured him. Yeah. And, and he made it awful for him. But, but here's... Uh, Here's kind of what I want to have that conversation now, right after talking about how the Cardassians and particularly Garrick and Tain obfuscate everything, is that the moment that Garrick is not doing that, and I, I saw this in an interview with Andy Robinson about that, is the moment where he tells Odo, lie, do whatever you have to do so I can stop this. In Andy's words, that is the moment that Garrick is not putting on the show, that he's not actually acting against what his internal uh, uh, subtext is. Um, so I, I will take his word uh, that, that that is the case, that he acted that scene exactly as Garrick performed it, that, that, you know, that there's no lie, there's no hidden agenda there. It is just, I am trying to save you, my friend, Although I'm trying to save you as I am torturing you, which is a horrible thing to do. Right. Yeah. I don't, I mean, yeah, it didn't occur to me that there was any um, lie to that. Because once Odo can no longer see him, once he's like, you know, oozing back into the bucket in his liquid form, Mm -hmm. uh, Garrick does break down and cry. Yeah, and it's a wonderful moment. Yeah. It's it's a good moment, yeah. But yeah. if anybody's yeah. watching, obviously, then he's he's given up the game. Which so so yeah, I'm I'm with you. I don't think there was any game being played there. The thing that I was wondering about. So I mean, we sort of assume in Act Two that Garrick's insisting on interrogating Odo himself because he wants to you know help him or protect him. But it's yeah. really just about getting in good with Tane, right? I mean, I don't think he knows how bad it's going to be what he's going to do until he's doing it. But I mean, he wasn't like trying to, he wasn't trying to help Odo at all. He was trying to, like, even when, I mean, maybe you could argue that in keeping Lovok, or however you say it, uh, in keeping Lovok away from, uh, from Odo, then, then he knows he'll be able to protect him, except then he, you know, comes to the point of killing him. They really don't know what's going to happen to Odo, and, and he'll just keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing. Yeah. Also, there's no guarantee that turning off the machine is going to make it possible for Odo to go back into liquid form because yeah, they, they right? said that they've never been yeah. able to try it before. It would have been funny if it hadn't worked. Yeah. He <laughs> <laughs> goes in, he pushes the button, then Odo just cleans his clock. Um, yeah. <laughs> the one thing I will say, there's something mildly interesting, I guess, about Garrick and Odo being given the same choice, you know, to go home. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Garrick at the end of the last episode and uh, Odo at the end of this episode. And I guess maybe it's supposed to make Odo better or it's supposed to, uh, I guess that's the reason that Odo's like, let's have breakfast. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and Garrick's like, well, you don't eat. And Odo's like, no, I don't. But I, but I just want to spend time with you because I think we're sort of similar, uh, except for the part where you nearly killed me. I mean, that's the one I, thing that's yeah, like, yeah. that's, I mean, like I, I have a hard time with Odo, like, cause Garrick didn't even come in out of the cold. He was forced in out of the cold, right? Right. It's I, I, I go back to the whole uh, the the John Lovitz uh, uh, Danny DeVito sketch on Saturday Night Live, <laughs> where Danny DeVito is the 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 gunfighter and he he shoots uh, John Lovitz in the foot. He goes, "But you shot me." It's like, "Well, we we're just uh, we we're just playing around here and uh, didn't mean to." 
but you shot me. Yeah. <laughs> That's that should be Odo. It's like, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe one day we could be friends, but you tortured me. Right. Uh, so I, I, it's a weird thing. Like, I know we have to end up there at the end of the episode. I know that we have to redeem our character somehow in some way. Um and we do. Look, I, I'm not saying that we don't. There's a lot of depth to Garrick here, and there's a lot of conflict in Garrick. But he does horrible things here, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to to just sort of wrap it up at the end of the 48 minutes and go, well, uh, now they're friends again. He does. He does horrible things here, and he's happy to do them until he has to do them against somebody that he likes, and then yeah. or somebody whose name he knows. I mean, this goes back. Honestly, this might go back to um, pen pals. Uh, Picard was yeah. fine letting that planet blow up until he heard Sarjenka's voice. And for people who don't remember, I pretty much just recapped the episode for you uh, <laughs> because it was a it was a um, it was a prime directive thing. Like they can't interfere. And then, you know, uh, Data plays the voice of the girl. And now Picard has heard her. Now Picard knows her name. And so now Picard can't let this bad thing happen. Right. If yeah. if, if if Tane had said, listen, we got nine people in there. I want at least nine ears on my desk, however many it takes to get the answer you want, get the answer. And Tane would be like, really? You don't want 18? Because I got nothing but time. Right? I mean, he was ready to be bad again in the service of Cardassia. Okay, we can say bad for a what he considers a good cause. But I mean, this was, I mean, he's he's, he's ready to go dark ASAP. Um, Mm -hmm. Just to to have that warm feeling of Cardassia again. So, I mean, it's an interesting juxtaposition between the two of them. I'm still not sure, though. I'm still not sure what it says uh, exactly, except that it's hard to believe that Odo, I mean, as you said, Odo could have been like, yeah, maybe someday. Yeah. But uh, but it's hard to imagine that it would be the next day. Yeah. And I kind of would maybe this would fix it i i almost would like to see you know maybe garrick is the one who reaches out rather than odo being the one who reaches out and maybe we save that for somewhere down the road you know i i, I don't know exactly what the right answer is there but um i it, you know it, it's a tv thing you sort of have to end up with these characters being redeemed and uh, well, with garrick being redeemed and um we we got to do it before we run credits. <laughs> so that was an odd thing. Um, hey, can we talk about uh, Lovak real quick here? Uh, our Romulan uh, Tal Shiar, who is actually a changeling. Um, did they make it clear in the episode that he is a changeling, assuming the identity of someone who already existed? Um, I, no. Because it's not clear, and I wondered, first of all, if there was a real Lovak, what happened to him? Oh, he's dead. Okay, the founder just offed him and <laughs> was like, okay, now I'm you. Okay, or was this guy like Odo and just sent out ages ago and, and just assimilated in, into Romulan society somehow? Um, and then he does a better job of being a Romulan all the time. Uh, than Odo does at even replicating a Bajoran face. Um, this guy is super good at it. I don't think it could be that. I don't think he's one of the sort of um, seedlings, sort of like scattered among the stars. I think he's. Mm. I think he's a member of the Founders. I think he's a member in a way that Odo is not. Odo is of that race of changeling. Yeah. But Odo's not a member of the Founders. And I'm pretty sure that Lovak was because he's like. So here's the plan. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I mean, he knows yeah. everything that's happening. And so I think he was, um, I, I can't imagine that he was, uh, that he turned up. Because remember when they discovered Odo, they knew that he was something else. Yeah. It wasn't like he was born, you know, a Bajoran. He's, he doesn't look like a Bajoran. He wasn't born into any society. He was sort of like picked up and studied for it, which I assume is the kind of thing that's happening with the rest of the, uh, with the rest of the ones that are scattered among the stars, as I say. Um, yeah. Yeah, I assume that, uh, yes, uh, the step one, uh, find a guy that you can imitate well. Step two, kill that guy. Kill that guy. Step three, <laughs> profit. <laughs> a boa constructor. 
die is cast, John. The episode is called The Die is Cast. Uh, you know, a couple meanings there, I guess. First of all, there was the one you mentioned earlier about uh, Julius Caesar crossing the Rubicon. Uh, but then there's also uh, yeah, the fact that, yeah, now, uh, game on, right? I mean, the die is cast. It's, uh, they've, they've rolled the bones now, and whatever happens, I mean, it's going to happen. And I guess that's, that's probably it. Is there anything else there on the title? I, I can't imagine what it would be. Okay. I'm just glad that it's not Improbable Cause Part 2. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Unless it's like the, uh, how, how it's made. It could be like how it's made, and it's like, here's how die are cast. Oh, yeah, that'd be, oh, that'd that'd be, be very interesting. It would have been a surprising episode of Deep Space Nine, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I would watch that How It's Made yeah, uh, on too. the Science Channel, like, all the time. Yeah. I feel certain that they've done one on that. We should do. We oh, should, sure. We should find out. And then we'll do a podcast about that. Do a mission log about it. <laughs> 90 years. Uh, the die is cast. This is the part of the episode where we talk about, uh, you know, the ideas, the ideals, whether uh, the episode holds up in our estimation. I put that question to you first, sir. Uh, does this episode hold up as far as you're concerned? So as a production, I mean, I really can't fault it. Um, you can see how you can have two separate stories uh, between the, the setup and the first one. If you just treat it as a mystery, like uh, uh, there's an explosion in Garrick's tailor shop. Why is there an explosion? We need to figure out, oh, look, here's the twist. He did it himself to avoid the assassination by someone else. And then you, you wrap it up. And then in this, well, it really is about this other plot. Uh, the Obsidian Order and the Tal Shiar going after the Founders. So you can see how you could have a separation. And then obvi obviously they cleverly linked these together into a whole. Um, as just a piece of storytelling that is uh, grounded by very strong actors uh, and frankly, very high production values. Um, you know, we've had a few episodes this season that were very clever bottle shows where you could save a little bit of budget. I think they blew a lot of that budget on this episode and did very well with that. There's a lot of space battles, uh, a lot of new and interesting set pieces, or at least redressed set pieces, and some real powerhouse acting. Uh, we didn't talk a lot about Paul Dooley last week or this week, but just as an actor, I mean, there is something about him that... Uh, you feel like it's effortless. You feel like he just shows up, they put on the makeup and you know what? He doesn't have to do a voice. He doesn't have to have a, a gimmick or, or some shtick to do. He just is in the moment. He just delivers the line as if it were completely natural and normal for him to be uh, uh, threatening and subversive. And he just is. I uh, he's fantastic. You know, as much as I love Garrick, as much as I love uh, Andrew Robinson's portrayal of Garrick, he's got this really interesting energy where you just always know he's up to something. There's always something going on. Uh, Paul Dooley has this sinister calm mm -hmm. where it just feels like ordering the death of somebody is just like ordering a coffee. And uh, he's marvelous and he's great in everything, but it, it's really cool to see him in this. Um, and I do like the twist in this episode. I, I like their plan being thwarted and I like uh, that it's because of a founder, a changeling who has uh, gotten high enough in the Tal Shiar uh, to, to make this all happen. Um, so I, I think the story plays out well. I think our actors are great as always think the action keeps this moving along um so there's a lot to like about it there's a lot that makes it hold up as a production but here's the thing i have a feeling ken that your take on this uh and mine too maybe we're going to get into the morals meanings messages that might might undo some of that <laughs> so how do you feel about uh this as an episode sir uh not a fan I mean, and the problem is there's so much there to like. The production is, you know, fine to great, especially if you like mm -hmm. space battles. They're fantastic. Um, mm -hmm. It sort of felt like they, maybe they ran out of budget right at the end because they're like, oh, there's still a Jem'Hadar chasing us. And just goes as a fire aft torpedoes. And Kira pushes a button and she's like, oh, I did. Oh, I hit it. Oh, yeah. it's stopping. It's like, really? <laughs> right. There was no right. like stock footage they could have used that would indicate any of that. But OK. Yeah. Um, yeah. Acting is good. The action is good. Um, and I hate Starfleet in this episode. Um, they're willing to sit on the sidelines and see how things play out, see who lives and who dies. 
and, uh, you know, leave some of their own people in harm's way. Uh, Eddington, I think, is kind of awful. I mean, yes, he does follow orders from Todman, but he lies to uh, his immediate commanding officer, Cisco. Um, and Todman's terrible because he lets Cisco and everybody else off the hook for disobeying direct orders. I mean, here's the problem I'm starting to have. Mm-hmm. It's what you said earlier. The problem I have with this episode, rather. Um, we know that we have to have redemption for everybody at the end, at 48 minutes or you know, the 96 minutes, I guess, if you count the two yeah, episodes. Yeah. Odo should have left Garrick to die. He should have. I mean, and not yeah, and not yeah. like not like you know hit him over the head and left him to die. But when Garrett goes running off that way, Odo should have just gotten off that ship instead of coming back and knocking him unconscious and taking him. Because while we know that Tane has gone practically catatonic, uh, Tane could have just killed him, or you know could have turned on one of those devices again and then killed him, or they all mm. could have died and exploded. Uh, and and Garrick did just torture Odo after you know selling Odo out once they got there after having manipulated him into the whole thing in the last episode. Sure. Um, Cisco should have had Eddington confined to quarters and Todman should have had Cisco and all the rest of the senior staff court-martialed. And here's the thing. You can't keep trying to ratchet up the stakes if there are actually no stakes. Nobody's going to die. Nobody's going to be punished. Nothing bad is going to happen, right? Yeah. I mean, that, and, and, and the problem is then... <sighs> I, I, I was watching this episode and I found myself thinking of what you had said last week about or a couple of weeks ago about through the looking glass mirror mirror you said was the right tool for delivering the right message for its time yeah. and every time after that it was just having fun um, I had said playing dress up and you agreed that that's what it was I mean is that basically uh, is that basically what you had thought about uh, about about that episode. Because I don't want to put words uh, in your mouth. Okay. No, a hundred percent. Okay. That's where I ended up on this episode. I mean, the only thing we get mm. out of this is like a bigger bad guy. The Dominion is even more deeply entrenched, more manipulative, and more powerful than we knew before. Um, and I guess you could ask, what would we do in such a situation? And I guess if you're thinking, well, we are Cisco in that scenario, right? Um, then, then we would hope that what we would do is what Cisco did. Uh, the only problem is, um, uh, to borrow a line from Discovery, I've always thought that we are Starfleet or we are the Federation. And if that's who yeah. we are, we have failed in this episode in every respect. We, at this point, are just the boss who doesn't really understand. We're going back to season one, uh, the boss who doesn't really understand what's going on, right? So, so mm-hmm. we ordered something. We were disobeyed and we said, eh, it's fine. But I mean, honestly, I'm OK with that because that's not what we should have done in the first place. We either should have warned the Dominion this attack was coming or joined forces with those people or joined forces with the Romulans. I mean, the fact that Starfleet just sat and I mean, just just stood by and sat this out while their own people might get hurt. <laughs> and while well, other, now while, hang on. To be to, to be fair, Todman was sending nine starships to the the to the wormhole, and they were due to arrive the next day. So maybe they're just here to pick up the bodies. Well, no, they weren't uh, going through. I don't they know, but they weren't going through the wormhole though. They were coming to defend Deep Space Nine. Yeah, right. Which is all he wanted uh, Cisco to do. He didn't want he didn't want anybody yeah. to go after Odo or or you know. I don't know. The whole thing just felt bad to me. Man. Well, the whole thing just felt bad. Well, but to here's me. the thing. I mean, Starfleet is not going to take an offensive position in a preemptive attack. Starfleet, I would understand, would take a defensive position to say somebody's doing something stupid that we don't agree with. Mm-hmm. We had better be there to defend ourselves and the people that we care about when this terrible thing goes down and try to do everything you can in the meantime to talk the uh, the rogues out of what they're doing, mm-hmm. uh, even if you have to send ships in to try to go stop them. But that means then Starfleet launching an attack against a bunch of Romulan and Cardassian ships that are days ahead of them. Right. Uh, well, but so, I mean, they could like they could send a warning or something. I mean, here's the, and now, and yeah, now, here, yeah. and now here's the problem. We yeah. come back to the question of when is genocide okay? Because that's what Anabran Tain thinks he's going to do. And I understand. Oh, yeah. I yeah. understand the founders are bad guys, but Anabran Tain thinks what he's going to do is kill every last one of them, which is yeah, genocide. Which is terrible. Yeah, yeah. And it's not called that, but that's what it yeah. is. And what yeah. Starfleet says is, well, I mean, that's it. <laughs> That's really it. They're they're now going to wait and see whether or not uh, this genocide succeeds. And if it does, how's it going to work out for us? 
And yeah. and that's kind of the part that I, but I mean, even if you, even if all of that is fine, in the end, there are zero consequences for anybody. Garrick is going to be back having lunch with, with Bashir the next time we need a Garrick Bashir storyline. I mean, yeah. after everything that he did, this is like in season one when Quark nearly got a DS9 blown up two or three times. Everybody's like, oh, that's just Quark. You know, <laughs> I mean, they're verbally yeah. abusive to him, but otherwise, you know, it's all going to ride. And and I think yeah. that's that's kind of my problem. We're dealing with double dealing people. But at the end of the 48 minutes, we know we're going to like those people again. And so yeah. nothing that happens in between matters. Yeah. And that's that's sort of my frustration with the episode. Uh, l- let me ask you this. Uh, when uh, So we have a situation where you have a Starfleet officer stealing a ship against order. Not stealing, but taking a ship against orders. Uh, yeah. Doing a heroic thing, coming back, and then the Admiralty saying, like, eh, it's okay, we're not going to court-martial you. Now, in uh, Star Trek Three, Captain Kirk, Admiral Kirk, stole the Enterprise, Mm-hmm. Went after his buddy Spock with a bunch of people who also said, like, yeah, we're going to get court-martialed for this. And then he blew up the Enterprise and took his friend back to Vulcan so they could put his noggin back on straight. And then they came back. And, and yes, uh, you have a few seconds of it being, well, uh, boy, we're, uh, you know, in Star Trek Four. wow, that was uh, a really terrible thing you did. But you saved the Earth. So we're just reducing your rank to captain. Everything else is forgiven. Everybody else is cool with their jobs. Mm -hmm. Are you better with that because we had a courtroom scene than you are with this where we're doing it over the uh, the comm link? Uh, I think saving a planet... <laughs> from being not just destroyed. any planet, it's Earth. Yeah. Well, I mean, right, and, and the head of the Federation and all that stuff, and the head of Starfleet. I think saving a planet, I mean, might be maybe worth a little bit more, right? I think maybe okay. you go ahead, but even then, they didn't actually turn their back. Now, it is a bit of a wink and a nod because Kirk was never meant to be admiral anyway. He should have always been captain, yeah. and so when they demote him, quote unquote, demote him to captain. They're thinking, okay, but you know, really, we're we're kind of rewarding him because we're giving him a ship again, and we're giving him, you know, this, and we're going to go let him chase God or whatever the heck he wants to do. I'm sorry, that wasn't him, but you get the idea. Yeah. Um, it's 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 a bit different, and the other way that it's a bit different is at that point we had gone on to the movies, and the movies are very different than the television show. I mean, and they just are. Mm. Once you get to the point where you're making movies, then Picard is going to grab something that's a bit like a machine gun. Or, yeah, heck, give him a machine gun. <laughs> Picard's <laughs> going to grab a machine gun and shoot people. And Kirk's going to climb a mountain. Yeah. And why is Kirk climbing a mountain? It doesn't really matter. I mean, once, you, once you get to the movies, you're doing bigger things. You're doing things that, while they may carry some weight, they don't have to fit in the same way into the continuum. Uh, witness the fact that they went to uh, Shakari in one of the movies and found sure. you know, God or something like him. Sure. Um, it's a good question. I like your question. And, you know, if this was, well, I mean, we talked about it all through TNG. Data should have been decommissioned so long ago, decommissioned, deactivated, torn into separate parts. And, and each of those parts flown to a different quadrant because too many yeah. times he nearly cost everybody their lives. Yeah, Bruce Ev- Maddox, paging Bruce Maddox. Yeah, right. I mean, everybody yeah, yeah. on, and we talked all the way through, um, uh, Worf probably shouldn't still be in Starfleet because Riker stood there and watched him kill a guy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. everybody on that ship, and we talked about it every time. Mm-hmm. It's not because I don't like Cisco that I think Cisco should be court-martialed. It's because of what they wrote. I mean, uh, Garrick should be left there because Odo should have the sense to know, you know, this guy's actually been a bit of trouble, and I would like <laughs> to save my own hide. I'm going to get out of here. I mean, sure. and that's that's sort of the problem. And I mean, like, everybody... A number of people have said, well, th- this is their favorite one because it's so realistic and it's so gritty. Nobody should have a job anymore. They should all be gone. And we should be meeting a new commanding officer and crew next week because everybody else got busted down to KP someplace else. If they even get to stay in Starfleet. I mean, it's just whatever. I mean, the fact that it ends with you guys, you know, because they didn't save a planet. They saved a guy. And while I'm glad they saved the guy. And as I say, it puts me in a weird place because. I would hope that I would do what Cisco did. You're right. Cisco did exactly what Kirk did in Star Trek Three, And I would hope that that would be what I would do. But 
Kirk did it knowing that he was going to face consequences, and then he did face consequences. Cisco did it knowing he was going to face consequences, and Starfleet said, "Well, try not to do it again, or we'll give you we'll give you a promotion." I mean, you yeah, know, I mean, it just right? it's it ends up. I mean, it's it's like a protracted uh, slap on the back laugh, and yeah. and um, yeah, kind of it was kind of a letdown. Can, can I tell you what would have been the freeze frame slap on the back that would have ruined this episode? Please do. Uh, it, okay. All right. So there was actually, I read this online. I have not been able to confirm it elsewhere, uh, but there was actually a scene written where uh, we would have learned that Admiral Todman had bought two cases of Saurian brandy in order to celebrate uh, Bashir's win of the Carrington Prize, the Carrington Award. Uh, but then he was disappointed because Bashir did not win the Carrington Award. And that, that would have been, first of all, a terrible callback to a terrible plot line. What? I don't even get <laughs> yes. that. I don't under- I, I, yep. yep. Seriously? Yeah. See, yeah, because at that point, kidding. go for the hat trick. Uh, he bought whatever it was off Quark. Remember the stuff that Quark was going to have for those visiting aliens? And they're like, oh, this is bad. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and that was that. to celebrate yeah. and then just tie in all the bad jokes. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's I don't even I don't even understand what you just said to me. I'm going to have to go back and play this podcast back later to try <laughs> Look, to like, sometimes sometimes in a writer's room. People yeah. have terrible ideas. Can I say really quickly, though? I mean, look, and it sounds like I just hate the episode. I, I don't there, there are things about the way the story was written that I didn't like there at the the scene at the end. And and we both agree that there's no way Odo should be coming to Garrick and say, let's be friends. But the scene at the end where Garrick is like wiping the, the smudge off the uh, off the mirror and that's where we see Odo. Yeah. That is one long take. Yeah. And that is one long take of we're seeing Odo sort of off the distance in the reflection. We're seeing Andrew Robinson's, you know, uh, all of his reactions, all of his facial features, all of his, all of that. And we're on him that whole time. That is an amazing bit of acting. That is an amazing, honestly, that's a, an amazing bit of cinematography because the easy thing would be to do cut to Odo, cut to Garrick, long shot of the two of them, cut to Garrick. I yeah. mean, you know, and that would be, that's, that's like, that's the kind of thing that happens on TV all the time. And to sit there, and hang on you can even say it's you know Odo reflecting on what he's done it's it's Garrick reflecting on what he's done it's the two of them obviously being the same because we're looking in the mirror and we're seeing both of them I mean I mean there's 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 a lot that there's a lot to admire about this episode um and and still I'm I'm let down but you know, what, what of Starfleet, Ken? What of Starfleet? That's kind of what it comes down to. Look, one uh, of the comments that we got, and you mentioned this before in our show, uh, that people responded to the decision to split the seven to two episodes. And one of the comments that I saw on Facebook was, oh, I'm so disappointed that you didn't land on a moral meaning or message uh, because you only did half of the story. You only did the first half. Well, you know, first of all, look, this is going to be a problem in DS9 because there are a lot of multi-part episodes and you, you can't just do like a seven-parter in a single podcast. So that, that will inevitably happen. But here's the thing about this particular uh, combination of episodes in Probable Cause and the Dias cast. Um, I'm not convinced that we really found a moral meaning message at the end of this one either. So uh, I hate to let you down twice in a row, but I, I don't think there's a really solid. I, I, I don't think we were helped or hurt in, in that process. I will say this. Um, in the end, I think what we have here is a, a character study. We have this character bonding between Odo and Garrick, some of which I think works really well, some of which, you know, we can still question. I love them both as characters. I love them both as actors. Um, Garrick is ready to sell out everything and everyone just to have this taste of going back to his old life. And then he learns he can't go home again, uh, particularly if home means, you know, killing everybody in your path. Uh, Odo, on the other hand, he wants to go home so badly. He's had two opportunities now to do so, but he hasn't sold out because he's not that guy. There, there's something where he realizes that the friendships and the bonds that he's made uh, in his life on DS9 is more valuable than the, the prospect of what he would get in the Great Lakes. So, 
be like Odo, not like Garrick. I, you know, that, that just kind of comes down to whatever hand you're dealt and whatever it is that you're going back to. So I, I don't really know that there's a message there, but the parallel of the characters is very interesting and interesting for us that it's portrayed by two really powerhouse actors. Um, I will come back to a line that I, I didn't pull out for our, uh, the earlier part of our discussion. The fault, dear Brutus, is not in our stars, but in ourselves. A great line from Julius Caesar and uh, used in many other places. But there, there's something of the uh, sort of humanistic value of that line that really speaks to me that I like. They used here almost as a throwaway, uh, just of Garrick to uh throw into Tane's face to say, yeah, man, uh, it's not about fate. It's about all these mistakes <laughs> that you have made up until now uh, that are purely on you and the people you convinced to be a part of this. So you, you can't blame a higher power. It's you, buddy. So, um, yeah, I interesting thoughts there. But again, at the end, I don't think we're necessarily making a statement in this episode, unless Ken, I overlooked anything that really spoke to you. No, no, I think that uh, that's no, <laughs> I, I, I stand where I, I stood a moment ago. And, you know, there we go. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Check out the Roddenberry Podcast Network at podcast.roddenberry.com. Over there, you will find Mission Log, Mission Log Live, Women at Warp, Priority One, The Trek Files, your daily Star Trek news, and Shabam! Shabam! If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash missionlog. And for more Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. On the next Mission Log, Explorers. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. For the riddles, to the answers, in this episode, tune in last week. Transmission. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.